Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good morning and welcome to Out of the Blue on Sunday 11th of March 2018. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 on your AM dial or you can have a listen from our website www.3cr.org.au forward slash Radio Blue where you'll find a number of previously broadcast episodes that have been uploaded as podcasts. My name is Andrew Christie from Melbourne Polytechnic and Marine Care Point Cook and today's weather is uh, in a word gorgeous out there today. Um, Top of 20 24 degrees, mainly sunny, winds earlier from the north and now they've uh, well and truly swung around to the south, uh, gusting up to about 15 knots by the time that uh, Sally from out of the pan comes on right on 12 noon. Um, so do be careful when you're out and about on the water with those southerlies, they're very, very common at this time of the year and they uh, commonly start gusting up around you know 11 o'clock, 12 noon and uh, some can, can build from there. One thing I will point out, um, and I'm going to be talking today about a few things, uh, namely uh, taking off from where I left off last time on the topic of uh, drowning, which is a very, very important one, a bit of a gloomy topic for the long weekend, uh, but a very, very important one nonetheless. And I'll also be talking a bit about what's going on at uh, Point Cook Marine Sanctuary right at the moment. There's quite a few interesting developments uh, going on uh, as we speak. But uh, one thing I want to point out from the very top of the show is that when you hear about uh, southerlies coming in at about 15 to 20 knots, often what that does is gives rise to uh, waves that are about one to one and a half metres. And it's very easy and tempting for us, I think, at times, even quite experienced people, to sit there and think, oh, yeah, I mean, it's a bay beach. What can go wrong? It's pretty flat, you know. Um, and looking at the uh, the water this morning from the, the train ride in from Seaholm Station, um, at Seaholm there, you can see the, uh, the water's around Williamstown looked pretty flat and it generally speaking it is but remember what you'd perceive to be flat water from the coast from the shoreline can be a fair bit different to what it actually looks like when you're three or four hundred meters offshore whether you're snorkeling scuba diving or out there in a kayak um, those waves actually can get quite sizable and uh, one one and a half meters with a with a bit of a surge is more than enough to capsize a kayak or cause someone to get into difficulties and swallow a bit of water and potentially panic a little bit. Anyway, that's what we'll be talking about. Uh, that's what I'll be talking about later on uh, as we go through the show. Um, back after this brief announcement. Like in Canada and in Australia, they cannot discharge tailings directly into the riverways. But in Pogara, they discharge their tailings in the waterways and they kill us and they say it's okay. You are just being killed for trespassing. Subscribe to 3CR bringing you voices and opinions the mainstream media don't dare touch. They have the exclusive right to extract the mineral below six feet, but that exclusive right does not permit them also to kill people. 
Who does the killing? The company has uh, specially arranged security forces. Subscribe today. Call 9419 8377. You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio 855 on your AM dial. Okay, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about some uh, issues that are going on at Point Cook Marine Sanctuary in Melbourne's west. Um, Point Cook, as uh, as many of our listeners may know, is a very, very rapidly growing area. The population uh, at one stage was growing faster around Wyndham Shire, the surrounding Wyndham Shire, which includes Point Cook, um, quicker than just about any uh, any place in the rest of the country, not just in Victoria, in Australia. Uh, the, the development in the area has been absolutely explosive. And what that's meant is that there's a fair bit of, uh, potentially a fair bit of uh, increased pressure on Point Cook Marine Sanctuary. Um, Now, when we look at issues like pollution, uh, I'll be the first to say, I think that uh, Melbourne Water and the associated uh, City West Water and these other bodies have come together and done a really tremendous job with putting in a lot of wetlands um, to try and limit the amount of nutrients that are entering the uh, Point Cook Marine Sanctuary and the surrounding surrounding waters of the Point Cook Coastal Park and Altona Bay and that sort of area. Area. But one issue that has been really at the forefront now for, for quite a, a considerable amount of time is the urchin barrens. Uh, the sea urchins at Point Cook are predominantly what we call the purple sea urchin, uh, Heliosidaris erythrogramma, uh, for those that are keen on the on the scientific terminologies. Um, now, this particular urchin, like a lot of sea urchins, has basically reached the point, the population levels have reached the point where they're absolutely booming, um, absolutely exploding. And there was a terrific article in yesterday's uh, edition of the Saturday Age newspaper that spoke about the work that is going on, a a tremendous uh, worthwhile study that's going on by uh, Dr Paul Carnell of uh, Deakin University's Blue Carbon Lab and also Parks Victoria. And what they've decided to do there is uh, basically bite the bullet and say, well, we can keep talking about monitoring the urchin barrens and the sizes of these barrens to see how they uh, they expand and contract. An urchin barren, by the way, is an area of basically basalt reef or boulders, um, any sort of substrate that has been denuded of algae. And the reason for that is the sea urchins have got this wonderful uh, apparatus called an, an Aristotle's lantern which is basically four or generally five of these little teeth that uh, go through and they they are exceptionally efficient at grazing all the algae off the rocks and they munch on that algae now they're a natural normal part of the ecosystem one thing that i want to get across is that they're not a pest species in the sense that they're not an introduced marine pest species they're not like the uh, northern pacific sea star asterius amarensis or they're not like the um the the green meanie the uh european shore crab or the introduced uh, European fanworm. They've been here for, for what we can tell for forever. So uh, they've uh, they've always been around and they've always been one of these what we call almost ecosystem engineers in the sense that they go through and they have a tremendous impact on the surrounding ecology. And unfortunately, at Point Cook Marine Sanctuary and potentially also at Jawbone Marine Sanctuary at Williamstown, not quite to the same extent nearly as um, as Ricketts Point Marine Sanctuary, which explains why Ricketts Point was dropped off the list and the, the, uh, the people of 
decided to concentrate, and when I say people, I mean Paul Carnell's mob and Parks Victoria and, of course, all the volunteers that are assisting, have decided to concentrate their efforts on Point Cook and Jawbone Marine Sanctuaries and the surrounding environs. Um, so they've, they've decided to target these areas which are real hotspots. Ricketts Point, thankfully, they've still got lots and lots of algae. It's a really nice, lush area, and the uh, urchins, for whatever reason, haven't been able to exert the same amount of pressure on that environment as what they are at Point Cook. So the uh, the powers that be have bitten the bullet and said, well, let's cull these urchins. And uh, la- uh, not last Friday, the Friday before, out went a bunch of volunteers with scuba gear, and they basically ended up culling something like 17,000 uh, sea urchins. I was absolutely sort of stunned by the uh, the numbers that have been pulled out. I didn't sort of envision it uh, as being uh, as, as going to be that successful. They've had a huge potential impact by knocking out all these urchins. And basically what they do is they, very, very simple, they, they count the number of urchins, uh, but they smash them. They take in a hammer and they belt these poor buggers and uh, basically split them open. Now, when the urchins get all destroyed like that um, there's a whole heap of fish species um, at uh, Point Cook Marine Sanctuary we could be talking about uh, particularly uh, um, snapper Um, I suppose things like black brim and flathead and a whole bunch of others will be quite uh, welcoming of the fact that the urchins are being smashed and they come in and they feed on the gonads which incidentally are uh, edible and uh, prized as something of a delicacy for humans as well. Um, We've got a bit of an issue in the sense that uh, you know to, to smash up these urchins it could be viewed as a bit of a waste, but the uh, the, the fish were certainly seen to be uh, uh, participating eagerly in gobbling up the uh, the urchin row or the urchin gonad more more correctly. Um, but of course, we can't really harvest that um, from the marine sanctuaries for uh, for commercial gain um, in the sense that it's coming from a marine sanctuary. So there's a bit of an issue there. Um, if we did say, uh, if Parks Victoria turned around tomorrow and said, look, it's okay to uh, take, uh, you know, uh, urchins out of the marine sanctuary and then sell them for profit, then it's only a matter of time before someone turns around and says, well, there's the precedent that's been set. I think I think abalone are causing a negative detrimental effect on the um, on the algae population, so why can't I sell these? And it, of course, it becomes a free-for-all, and before long, you don't have a marine sanctuary. So that's where there's the issue. Um, what we're hoping to do at Melbourne Polytechnic's aquaculture program is to start having a look at some of these urchins, getting an idea of size, frequency, distributions, gonad weights, all these sorts of things. But of course, that's, that's research aligned. Um, that's not looking for selling the uh, the urchin row to the nearest Japanese restaurant and making a handsome quid from it. So that's an interesting situation. For those of you that haven't seen it, I'd, I'd urge you to chase up the Age's website or grab a copy of yesterday's paper and have a look for the uh, the tremendous, uh, the, the nice article that was written on the sea urchin culling and what that's all about. Having jumped in the water yesterday myself uh, with uh, Caroline Esbenshade of Marine Care Point Cook, um, there's a lot going on at the sanctuary at the moment. It's really beautiful. For those that haven't gotten down there, um, well worthwhile checking it out. Uh, this time of year, the water temperature tends to be around 18, 19 degrees, considerably warmer in the shallows. You know, it's uh, it punches up to 21, 22 degrees in those shallows um, when we get a bit of a, a warm spell. Of course, we've had uh, very dry weather in Victoria over the month of February. I think we had a about 1.6 mils of rain when we tend to average around 50-odd, I think it is, or 40-odd. Um, it's uh, quite incredible, another real dry spell. And actually, Paul Carnell was quoted in the article in The Age yesterday as saying that he that's part of the reason he thinks that the urchins might have had such a, a, a free-for-all. Um, it may have uh, coincided, uh, their, their numbers may well have coincided with the uh, the, the drought. Um, uh, 
in in terms of nutrient flows and all those sort of things. So I'm, I haven't got my head around all of that yet, and uh, for that matter, the the uh, people doing the study haven't yet. They need more and more data to be collected, and of course, that's what they're setting out to do. The the key thing with the culling is to see why. Okay, once we've culled seventeen thousand urchins from Point Cook Marine Sanctuary, and repeat the dose over uh, the you know June and July potentially in the winter months of the year, and then again later on in the year. Um, how much effort do we have to put in to start seeing algae really flourish and start growing um, at a fair rate of knots? How much uh, effort do the friends groups have to put in to cull these urchins to then see them really uh, start to limit the impact on the algae populations in the area? For the algae that we're seeing at Point Cook, um, it's uh, things like uh, sargassum. Um, Alva is the sea lettuce that tends to grow uh, quite happily in areas where there's quite a few nutrients. Um, there's a bunch of other algae species as well, but one of the other ones that's worth mentioning here is the um, Undaria. Uh, that's the introduced Japanese kelp. And that's always been a bit of a paradox for us at Point Cook Marine Sanctuary because it's an introduced marine pest species. But then again, we've seen clear evidence that it provides lots of uh, lovely little micro habitats for a whole range of critters. We've seen cuttlefish and leather jackets and flathead and all these things, uh, fiddler rays and stingarees using the Undaria for cover. Um, so it's quite an interesting uh, an interesting little situation there that's uh, that's going on. Um, having gotten in the water yesterday when we had that beautiful 35 degree day, a few things are really apparent. Uh, firstly, that we've got uh, some terrific populations of black brim out at Point Cook Marine Sanctuary. Nice, big, healthy schools of them uh, in the area yesterday. Likewise, mullet. Um, lots of mullet around, plenty of flatheads or a few beautiful flounder. All these things are out there. Um, one word of warning is that there's a lot of stingarees in relatively close to the beach and you do have to be a little bit careful when you're wading out but for those of you that are keen to don a mask and snorkel and have a look around um, be on the lookout for those beady eyes that are sitting underneath the sediment because they're, they're very good at uh, camouflaging and getting out of the way, the, the rays when they when they want to. Uh, so it's something to be uh, mindful of but just beautiful uh, gorgeous to see them out there. We saw three species of stingaree alone yesterday there's the sparsely spotted, the eastern shovel nose and a thing called the round or spotted stingaree and they are by far the most uh, docile stingaree um, to, to observe. They move very, very slowly. You can get to within extremely close ranges. I had a couple of happy snaps uh, of some photographs taken of me yesterday, basically nose to nose with one of these things because um, they are very, very uh, docile. They don't move quickly at all. So they're a great ray species to cut your teeth with if you're just a bit unsure and a bit uh, spooked or a bit intimidated by the presence of the, uh, the stingarees. Anyway, back with more in a moment. Are you interested in philanthropy? Do you want to be a major philanthropist? Well, I can help you. Donate to the 3CR Radiophone. Get a legal, legitimate tax deduction by listening to your favourite radical program on Community Radio 3CR. Ring now, 94198377. Tell your friends, tell your rich and powerful friends, you too are a rich and powerful philanthropist. Ring now, 94198377. Don't use the telephone, a bit passe. Well, go to 3cr.org.au. This is your chance to keep 3CR on air and get a legal, legitimate tax deduction. Donate now. 
You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio, 8.55 on your AM dial. Okay, uh, one uh, thing I wanted to speak a little bit about was that uh, at uh, Point Cook Coastal Park and Point Cook Marine Sanctuary, one uh, thing that I've seen a lot these days is that there are... uh, as I was sort of intimating before with Point Cook and the the suburb that is, we're seeing a lot of uh, migrant communities moving into the area. And these migrant communities, um, we're talking uh, communities, predominantly lots of um, uh, people of Indian descent, um, Middle Eastern families, lots of them are getting out into Point Cook Marine Park, and uh, the, the coastal park and the marine sanctuary and really exploring it. I saw a couple just yesterday, um, uh, clearly of uh, Indian descent, who were jumping into the water and were just wrapped to be there. It's a fantastic uh, development that uh, so many of these migrant communities are really engaging with uh, with Point Cook Marine Sanctuary. We've got some uh, a refugee group in early April who are coming out as part of a, uh, a coast care, um, the Port Phillip Bay Fund, um, the, the grant situation where we've got uh, some monies to be able to carry out some training and expose some of the refugee groups to the, uh, the wonders of Point Cook Marine Sanctuary. And that's something I'm really looking forward to because a lot of these people have never seen, uh, in, in many cases, have never come across the ocean. They're living in countries that might be landlocked. Um, if you're looking at some of the uh, areas in, uh, in you know, when we start talking about South Sudan, for example, um, these people have never seen the, uh, the the water. So that's something that will uh, will involve them in and, and get them uh, get them experienced in that regard. I guess uh, one thing to mention too is that uh, Point Cook uh, Marine Care Point Cook, sorry, uh, are uh, looking for more and more members these days. We had a, a very cruisy meeting uh, on Tuesday night at that wonderful establishment in Point Cook, uh, Hopheads, which is a craft beer hall. And as you can imagine, if we're having meetings at beer halls, they're nice and cruisy, nice and relaxed. And, um, you know, people get these issues uh, relating to the marine sanctuary off their chest and we get the meeting, uh, get the, the meeting properly minuted and all the rest of it. And um, we, we go on from there. But we've uh, only got a fairly small group that are attending the meetings these days. We get anywhere between about uh, generally four and eight people across to the meeting. So we'd like to see that number increase significantly. Uh, So if you're interested, uh, by all means, check us out on Facebook. That's as good a method as any of uh, learning a bit more about the group and what we see in the Marine Sanctuary. I've got to post some of the photographs and video of some of the wonderful things we saw uh, that I was mentioning, schools of black brim and all the rest of it in the Marine Sanctuary. One thing that I want to get across with regards to the uh, the drowning situation and why am I talking about uh, some of the, the situations with drowning in the state of Victoria today? Because we've basically hit a 10-year high in the state of Victoria with regards to drowning. So um, as I was sort of intimating before, migrant groups are one of those ones that tend to have been overrepresented in, uh, in previous years. So it is something that we've got to be very, very aware of as a community, um, being able to manage risks around the water. Now, the thing is that um, men at the moment are making up 78% of people who uh, lost their lives during the 2016-27 financial year. That's according to Life Saving Victoria. And that's a 20% increase on the long-term average. So there is really something going on there that absolutely needs to be addressed. Um, People, uh, young male risk-taking behaviour, probably the key there. And that's probably no surprise when we consider what happens on the roads with uh, with P-platers and so on. People have to be a little bit more switched on in the way that they um, the, they manage these risks. Also, people aged over 65, we've got an ageing population and people with um, latent or, or hidden health conditions um, can sometimes be a bit more exposed to the dangers of drowning. Uh, probably a good example of that was a, a tragic incident recently at Phillip Island where Michael 
Gordon, who was a very well-respected journalist of the age and Fairfax media, unfortunately died at the age of 62 after he was pulled from the water in, uh, in, in around Phillip Island there. And uh, heart attacks, um, it was, it was uh, apparently a, a coronary episode of some sort, um, a, a cardiac um, uh, situation that has led to his uh, untimely demise. So a, a really tragic incident. That's the sort of thing that's starting to happen a little bit more and more. Um, worth pointing out too that it's not only um, heart-related issues and cardiovascular disease issues that are an issue um, as far as drowning goes. It's things like uh, dementia um, and uh, mental health conditions. Uh, generally what happens there are people with those conditions end up falling into the water and uh, and drowning. So it's something we've got to be very, very aware of. One thing that I was talking to um, Parks Victoria about quite recently and a whole bunch of the volunteers actually related back to that um, sea urchin situation where people are wanting to go and get a whole bunch of sea urchins and smash them up and count them and, and do the volunteer thing, which is, uh, which is terrific as part of this uh, officially sanctioned study, of course, in the marine sanctuary. But if you're going to be doing that on snorkel, uh, there is a real uh, issue there. So what we decided to do was do it just with, with scuba diving, which was far more practical and a much better way of carrying out the exercise from the efficiency point of view. But it was also a hell of a lot safer. And the issue I wanted to talk about there was shallow water blackout. Now, the way shallow water blackout works is that when you, uh, if, you uh, if our listeners are out there at the moment, hold, the, hold your breath after a while, and it might be anything between 10 seconds and a minute or two minutes, depending on your lung capacity, you'll get that familiar burning sensation in your lungs where you really need to breathe. And that need to breathe, sometimes people equate that uh, incorrectly with being the need to um, get oxygen into your lungs. That's part of it to a certain degree, but the thing that's giving you that burning sensation is actually not the lack of oxygen per se, it's the buildup of carbon dioxide in your lung tissues that's uh, that's causing you to want to breathe. So in other words, the lack of um, uh, of oxygen is one component, but it's the buildup of carbon dioxide that effectively functions as an early warning system. That tells you, look, you really need to start breathing. Where it's a big danger is when people start uh, repeatedly duck diving from the surface of the water, and uh, they end up getting themselves into an enormous amount of trouble because they purge the carbon dioxide. It's almost like a hyperventilation type situation. And uh, there was a case um, not all that long ago, I think we're going back nearly a decade now, but uh, there was a young water polo champion who decided to purge his carbon dioxide by doing all this really rapid breathing, this hyperventilation, and he ended up swimming something like uh, six laps, uh, believe it or not, of a 50-metre pool underwater, um, just sat there and torpedoed through the water, back and forth, back and forth. He did it six times, so he's covered about 600 metres on the one breath. And unfortunately, what that meant was that he lost his early warning system. He was able to cover such a huge distance for such a long period of time because he didn't feel the need to breathe. Unfortunately, um, when he used up the uh, residual oxygen in his brain, he died, as simple as that. He drowned. Um, and the reason for that, he's, he's, he didn't have the carbon dioxide there to tell him, look, you really need to breathe. Lost track of time, lost track of how far he covered. Bang, got touched a, a wall at the end and basically uh, basically died as a result. So shallow water blackout is one of those things that, uh, that people are really warning against. Um, uh, there was a, a tragic case a while ago where a young man by the name of Jack McMillan died and um, 
he uh, succumbed to shallow water blackout. Basically, when you're doing any breath hold stuff and there's some sort of competition going on, and that's where I sort of warn Parks Victorious to say, well, hey, if you're, if you're going to be getting people in the water and they're wanting to grab the urchins and, and smash them up or count them or do whatever they're doing, there's a certain com- uh, competitive element there. And when I say that, not necessarily competing between people, but people are saying, oh, I've only got, you know, five, four, three, two, one urchins to go before I get this patch done. And there's that bit to stay just that little bit longer, a little bit longer, a little bit longer, quickly go back up to the surface, take a big breath and go back down again. Um, and that's where people get themselves into an enormous amount of, uh, of trouble. Uh, if those are interested, check, check out uh, shallowwaterblackout.org. Um, it's quite an interesting thing to get a handle on, uh, not to scare people, of course, but to get a handle on before you uh, before you head out and do too much uh, snorkeling. Okay, um, one other element that I wanted to, um, to discuss briefly, um, I'll come back to just after the break let's break it up a little bit here with a uh, with a song and um, one area where people would love to drown in is the sea of love here is Fleetwood Mac with Sarah That was a little bit of Fleetwood Mac with Sarah. Okay, just in uh, finishing the, uh, the the show, apologies, I, I hate when commercial radio sh- stations do that. They cut songs short, but uh, it's a pet hate of mine. But we're running right out of time before we have to hand over to um, Sally for Out of the Pan right on 12 noon. Um, I've been trying to come up with a bit of a slogan for a while with regards to keeping shallow water blackout at bay. And the best I've been able to come up with is, with is if you're burning, you're learning. And that's the idea that when you feel that carbon dioxide build up in your lungs, you go and take a breath. It's as simple as that. There are a whole range of different techniques to improve your free diving capacity and capability, but uh, it's very important that it's done in a properly supervised and properly educated sort of an environment. You can't be uh, too gung-ho with these things. Anyway, that brings us to the end of today's show for Out of the Blue. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday and indeed the rest of your long weekend and stay tuned for Sally with Out of the Pan. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.